Hello, hello, everybody. Welcome back. Welcome to this week's episode of Sister Strange. I'm Corey. I'm Holly. How you doing? Good. Good. Lauren went back to the vet. Oh, good. Yes. Turns out he didn't have pink eye. He has has a small ulcer on his eye. Oh, poor Bubba. So we are now on different medication and hopefully it clears up. Poor pup. But other than that, everything's pretty good. Yeah. How you been? I'm good. I'm good. A little stressed out. Um, Just for your guys' information, we are batch recording some of these episodes. I'm about to enter tech week and performance weeks for a a show with a bunch of middle schoolers. (laughs) And I still work my full-time job. So I'm a little spread thin. So we are batch recording some stuff. because we want to keep this content a rolling. Yes. So what and are we Corey talking is about? A brave soul. <laughs> I've been doing this a long time, so I I like it. The kids are good. You've come to see our shows. Yes, and you you guys always do such a phenomenal job, and these kids are so talented. Mm-hmm. And I sound like a parent when I say that, but I truly mean <laughs> it. Like we're actually got a good group. We're actually advertising in our playbill. So if you found us, found us, if you found us from the Into the Woods playbill, hi. 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 Um, So what are we talking about this week? This week we are doing game theory slash weird games slash a game that may or may not have actually existed. Yeah, because we're gamers. We are. I'm confident in calling ourselves gamers. We are. There are going to be some dude bros who want to fight that, but... Bruh. Dude, I don't... don't Dude, bro. No. Bro, dude. Dude, bro, bro, dude. Um, So, yeah. At time of recording, I have no idea what I'm going to call this episode yet. Um, I'll find something witty and funny. So, I go first this week, yeah? Yes. Cool. Um... So I don't have a lot to say, but hopefully there's going to be some discussion at the end of this because I really want some of your theories here. What do you get when you mix suburban Portland in the early 1980s, government conspiracy, and a guy who knows a guy? What? You get one of the gaming world's wildest urban legends, Polybius. So my sources are coinop.org, wiki, eurogamer.net, um, Atlas Obscura, and Skeptoid.com. So sometime in the late 1990s or early 2000s, Polybius emerged from the depths of the internet. An entry on coinop.org, a sort of arcade cabinet Wikipedia, was published August 3rd, 1998, and gives a copyright of 1981 Sinus Inc. These cabinets were allegedly distributed, which I'm using really loosely here, um, there were only two or three of them, to small backwater arcades in the Portland area. The cabinet was allegedly black with minimal artwork. An apparent title screen exists, but there's no confirming its validity. It's something that could really easily be made in Photoshop. So the effects of this game are legendary. Those who allegedly played can't remember doing so. Others say players experienced nausea, nightmares, seizures, some even attempted suicide. Um, In my research, I can't find a single first-hand account of what the game was like. 
there's no one with a blog post saying, oh, I played Polybius and it was this. Um, it's all second, even third hand accounts. A guy who knows a guy who told them. CoinOp claims it was a facts, action, abstract, pseudo puzzle thing. The lines to play were long, the gameplay addictive, and fights for next play were frequent. A popular theory is that Polybius was produced by the government as a mind control or brainwashing tool. In 1977, Freedom of Information Act documents brought to light the existence of Project MK Ultra, which is a whole other episode on its own. But long story super short, MK Ultra was a CIA program, largely illegal, designed to develop mind control interrogation techniques. Um, there's everything from torture to LSD use to you name it. There was probably involved in MK Ultra. There's a sort of Nazi twist on some of it because it was the early 50s when the um when the project was established um which is why people think polybius may have had something to do with it because sinus lotion is a sort of german portmanteau meaning sense removal sort of um hmm. but again it's really hard because uh mk ultra was halted officially in like 1973 Regardless, um, an arcade owner tells of the infamous men in black collecting data from Polybius cabinets one of, once a week, leaving the quarters behind. As quickly as they came, they were gone. Polybius disappeared from arcades after a month, allegedly. At the end of the day, the truth is thus. There's no proof this arcade cabinet ever existed in the world. Contemporary magazines of the time don't make any mention of Polybius. 2007 and 2017, Polybius hit the gaming market for real. Both the PC, 2007, and PlayStation 4, 2017 versions were merely inspired by the 1981 urban legend, but do not claim to emulate the game. So some discussion. Um, a lot of people, or some people, see Polybius as like a sort of prototype of Tempest, which was a vector graphic game. Um mm. Yeah, which Tempest itself caused a lot of um, medical issues in people playing it. Um, and, and let's be real here. Arcade cabinets and um, arcade culture at the time, it was shadier than people think it was. One of these resources lists or one of the sources listed the reason that there, you saw a lot of government um, agents at arcades was because that was actually a great place for drug deals to happen. Um, so you makes sense, right? So you had some FBI presence for that, um, and you have kids in there. And I say kids, you're talking mid preteens through adulthood, really, um, who had freedom of for the first time. Um, you know, they were given a stack of quarters and go play. So you had kids who were, like, trying to beat, like, 50-hour records of playing Space Invaders or whatever. Um, so there were – there are actually stories of kids who committed suicide in relation to effects games had on them. Um, I want to say it was Tempest, but I can't be sure. So some people say that Polybius was a prototype Tempest, but they came out around the same time. So I don't see that necessarily being the case um, and this alleged title screen isn't a vector graphic you know it, it 
sort of reminds me more of um, like Burger Time. It's really unassuming. Mm. It's it's a bubble letters for God's sake. Which I'll post on the Instagram. And then again, you've got this MK Ultra mind control situation, um, which again, this game may have never existed. It may be someone threw something together in Photoshop for kicks and giggles, you know. Yeah. So Sinus Lotion, the alleged um, developer, actually put out the PC version in 2007. Okay. Yeah. Um, sort of. There was another company that purchased the Sinus Lotion um, website, like purchased that domain. The domain. And then put out the game. So, again, no one claims anything. And in a lot of vintage game the vintage game community at this point, you know, we're talking, this is almost 40 years ago. We're almost 40 years out from this. We haven't gotten any ROM. Yeah. Nothing has been uploaded to the internet. And for a game as legendary as Polybius, it either didn't exist or it was a secret government program. I don't know that there's anything in between, you know, and it's spoofed all over the place. I mean, Simpsons did it. Yeah. And it's funny because the front of the Simpsons cabinet, says prop uh property of the uh, federal government yes yes it's cute so what do you think a lot of a lot of the stuff that you touch on with it like the headaches um nausea things like that it actually reminds me of lavender town syndrome um for those of you for those of you who don't know what lavender town syndrome is it a actually happened with the red and green versions of Pokemon when they first came out in Japan. Mm-hmm. Um, the song in the town Lavender Town actually contained binaural beats. And if you don't know what binaural beats are, it's when you have a pitch that goes up and a pitch that drops in frequency going at the same time. Um, supposedly, it's supposed to help with anxiety and things like that. For me, it makes mine worse. Um, but it essentially, but it was giving these younger players because they were more keen to hearing them, mm-hmm. like massive headaches, making them nauseous. Um, there's a creepypasta saying that it actually, uh, drove kids to commit suicide, which is not true. Yeah. There's um, no, when, there's no proof of that. No. But and it doesn't affect the, adults as, as readily because you've got kids with less developed ears. It, it's a biological thing. Yep. Um, and a lot of these kids that were complaining of the headaches and the nausea were actually playing with headphones on as well. So it's so more concentrated. It's more concentrated and you're getting more of the full effect of the binaural beats. Mm-hmm. Um, but in the later releases of Red and Bl- Pokemon Red and Blue in the United States and the PAL regions, they actually took those beats out and altered the song almost completely um, just to make sure that that didn't happen. Yeah. So that bit reminds me of that. The whole conspiracy thing actually reminds me of a very recent controversial, I don't want to call it a game because it's not really, it's a game, but it's not. Um, have you ever heard of Sad Satan? I feel like it's popped up in like my periphery. Like it's a lot of like related videos on YouTube, but I'm not as familiar with it. Okay. Um, so Sad Satan is supposedly a deep web game um that was released i want to say 2011 i could be wrong on that because i don't remember i literally just watched a video on it Mm -hmm. um but 
same idea. It has that weird number station kind of music that's going in reverse. It makes you feel very uneasy. It's monochrome. It's essentially a long hallway. But during your travels down these long hallways, you get disturbing images popped up at you. Oh, yeah. I have heard of this. Um, you said, like, monochrome and single long hallway. Yeah. But okay. there have been several recreations of this, and it's not – and no one's ever been able to show – actual gameplay of the correct like the real game mm. um a because youtube will censor the shit out of that because it shows like sensitive very uncomfortable graphic graphic images um but there are a lot of people that have claimed to play it but there's no one that has actual footage of the true game like there are so many different ports of it claiming to be the real game but nobody has been able to put out true footage so the conspiracy behind it yeah it's not government but the fact we know at least we know that sad satan exists yeah there's no proof that polybius ever existed yeah like, we don't have an actual cabinet. Mock-up cabinets have been made um, for events, but they're non-functional. Yeah. You know, and again, what bothers me about the whole thing is that we don't have the ROM. If this was something yeah. that was distributed in any capacity, it feels really unlikely that we wouldn't have the data. A ROM of it, yeah. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, that's Polybius. Again, maybe we'll touch on MK Ultra. Down the line, because that is a haul and a half. Um, but if you're familiar with Stranger Things, they talk about MK Ultra in the first season of Stranger Things. They do. They do. Have you seen I'm the previews of, for season four? I, I was just about to say, I haven't watched them, but I'm kind of excited from Russia with love. I haven't I seen season three yet. It's on my to watch list. Um, It's okay. That's what I've heard. It's got I its fe- moments. There's the whole side plot with Steve makes me happier than the main plot with the kids. I mean, I haven't seen any of it, and I should probably watch it before season four comes out, just so I'm caught up story-wise. How but often we'll watch it? I should. Sleepover. Sleepover and we'll watch it. My work schedule's changing soon, so that's a very high possibility. Come over and we'll watch it. We'll cast it on my TV, and we'll do dinner like we used to do. Aww. <gasps> Yay. All right, so I know what Holly's got coming up. So buckle in. Buckle up, Um, Buttercup, because you're in for a long haul. Editing Corey is going to try her best not to cut a lot out, but if it feels repetitive and drags, I might. Um, So before I start, I just want to say that this is the edited version (laughs) of what I wrote. The original one was about eight pages long. Gosh. Um... But before I start actually going on, this is a huge spoiler warning. If you have not played or heard anything about the game Majora's Mask, The Legend of Zelda, um, just be aware that this discussion contains major plot spoilers and ending spoilers for this game. You've been warned. 
So my favorite game series has always been The Legend of Zelda. And most of these, most of the time, these games tend to be very lighthearted, and, but they are no stranger to darker tones. However, the black sheep of the series has to be The Legend of Zelda Majora's Mask. Released in the United States October 26, 2000, it is a direct sequel to the highly successful Legend of Zelda Ocarina of Time, released in 1998 for the Nintendo 64. Not only is it my favorite game, but it also has one of my favorite fan theories for the series. The theory states that Link, the main character, has gotten mortally injured or has died and is stuck in a sort of purgatory in, a, in order to cross over either back to Hyrule or to the afterlife. He needs to navigate this new world and confront the five stages of grief. The plot of this game, just for a little bit of background, is after sealing Ganon away and returning the Master Sword to the Temple of Time at the end of Ocarina of Time, your companion fairy Navi leaves you. In the beginning of Majora's Masks, the story begins with Link riding his horse Epona through a hazy forest trying to find his companion. You're startled from, startled from your steed and knocked unconscious by two fairies and a mysterious figure wearing a mask. They pickpocket your Ocarina of Time and take off with your horse when they realize you're awake. You make chase on foot, only to fall down a very deep, dark hole that transports you from Hyrule to Termina. The culprit is revealed to be a Skull Kid who has stolen the mysterious mask from another traveler. This mask has incredible power, which he uses to turn you into a Deku scrub. And here's where your adventure in Termina begins. Your main goal is to stop the Skull Kid and stop the moon, which is absolutely horrifying. It's scary. It is terrifying from falling and destroying the entire world. During your endeavor, you have to travel to five different regions to collect masks that will help stop our antagonist. The theory states that Link is either dead or mortally injured, and Termina is actually his own personal purgatory, and each section of this world is one of the five stages of grief. Now, in 1969, Elizabeth Kubler-Ross, a Swiss-American psychiatrist, developed the five most popular stages of grief. They are denial, anger, bargaining, depression, and finally acceptance. There are five major areas in Termina. Clocktown, Woodfall, Snowhead, Great Bay, and Icona Valley. Each section representing a stage of grief. And in each of these locations, the NPCs are often confronted with some kind of loss, and the way they handle this loss differs from location to location, matching almost perfectly with the Kubler-Ross model. Let's start with Clocktown. The characters that dwell in this main hub are all in some way or another in a type of denial. With the imminent threat of death via creepy moon phase in three days, they are all very relaxed, even continuing to get ready for the festival they have planned. One character even calls anyone who believes the moon is going to fall a coward, while another says he will slice the moon to pieces and that it is nothing to worry about. Gonna fight the moon. Yep. The next location you visit is Woodfall, where you find the Deku King getting ready to punish a monkey who he thinks kidnapped his daughter. Even after proclaiming his innocence, the monkey is still set to die because the king is blind from his anger over his missing daughter to listen. He is lashing out at anyone or anything because he has no idea what else to do. The third area is Snowhead, which is home to the Gorons. Their usually warm climate has frozen over, and after cr 
trying to confront the evil being at the temple, their hero and leader, Darmani, has perished. You find his ghost, and he starts begging you to use his magic to bring him back to life. He is bargaining with you to prolong his life just a little bit longer to try and save his people from their untimely end. The Great Bay is one of the saddest areas, in my opinion. You meet a Zora named Lulu, who has not only lost her love, but also her eggs. She is the lead singer of a popular group, and she has not said a word since losing everything. She has become depressed, reverting inwards and shutting everyone else out after losing her children. The last major location is Icona Valley, literally a valley of death. However, despite being engulfed in death, it is also a place of acceptance. The first example of this is a character called Sharp. He is one of two composer brothers who you help come to terms with how he treated his brothers when they were alive. Then there's the symbolic stone temple tower, where you climb towards the heavens to obtain enlightenment, which is symbolized by the light arrows, which you get in this temple. The main mechanic of this game is that you have three days to collect what you need and save the world, and you obtain a song that will put you back to day one. Grief can often feel like you're stuck in a loop, unable to move on with your life. This journey you're on is not one over the loss of your friend Navi, but the loss of your own life. In the beginning, when you chase after Skull Kid, you fall down a very deep hole. In the Zelda series, they have always been one to punish players when you fall from a great height. And if you fall from a high enough height, you die. Instead, in the beginning of Majora's Mask, you are teleported to a land called Termina, which is very close to the word terminal. Another part of this theory is that this is a personal purgatory for Link himself. All of the faces and characters you've seen before, because they all match those who you've seen in Ocarina of Time. They may not be the same characters, but they all look the same because you've met them. Think of Dorothy and the character she meets in The Wizards of Oz. The masks in this game also have heavy representation as well. The three transformation masks are those of characters who have died. You have Darmani, the Goron, the Deku scrub, which you are originally turned into, and a Zora named Mako, who is Lulu's lover. Then there's the Elegy of Emptiness, a song which lets you create statues when wearing the transformation masks. These statues are compared to epithy statues to remember the dead. You're only able to make these statues using the transformation masks, which are deceased characters. So why would you be able to make a statue of yourself without a mask on as well? It gives heavy implication that Link is in fact dead. Lastly, the character of the happy mask salesman has a very important line at the beginning of this game. You've met with a terrible fate, haven't you? This is the only line that repeats during a very specific time in the game, and that's when the three days are up and the moon destroys Termina. The terrible fate he is referring to is your death, and at the end of the game, Link symbolically riding off into the fog is him accepting his fate, his death. In an interview in 2015 with Eji Aonuma, Game Informer had asked the creator what he had thought of this fan theory, and this is what he had to say about it. It is certainly true each one of these different episodes you've talked about has a different emotional cast to it. One feels like it's tinged with sadness, another with anger. That was intentional. But I also would like to point out it is not each one of these episodes only that has one emotion that they are conveying. There are certainly other notes that we're trying to hit at as well. And the reason we did this is always to allow the player to experience that emotion, to give them a chance to hook into the emotional tone of the scene and to react to it and feel like they want to accomplish something in the game as a result. Link died, or at least that's the theory. 
literally one of my favorite fan theories for this entire series, and there's a lot of theories for this series. That's interesting. It's not... It definitely makes sense. Mm -hmm. And even if that's not what the devs were going for, like explicitly going for, it's... You know, they know how to stick to a theme. Oh, absolutely. (laughs) Um, Now, this part I cut out because it got very long and rambly, but I'll kind of sparks note it. It fits in the Zelda timeline really, really well. Is it at the end? No. Um, So, for those of you who do not know, um, Nintendo did release what they're calling an official timeline. Of course, it's missing a couple games because it's come out a few years ago. But... At the end of Ocarina of Time, it splits into three different timelines. Mm-hmm. Um, hold that thought, because I don't have the correct book in here. I have an entire shelf of Zelda in my office, <laughs> which is where a lot of my uh, sources came from. So at the end of Ocarina of Time, the timeline splits into three parts. You have the heroes defeated, meaning Link has perished in the battle with Ganon, and Ganon wins. And then you have the hero is triumphant, which splits into two separate timelines. The child timeline, where Majora's Mask takes place, and the adult era, where Ganondorf is sealed, and we'll get into that some other time. But in the child timeline, the second game in that timeline is Twilight Princess. In Twilight Princess, there is a character that essentially teaches you um, old sword techniques, And it's very heavily theorized and almost confirmed by Nintendo that this is a past reincarnation of Link. And this character carries very heavy regret because even though he was a hero, he did not get to pass on his knowledge to the next generation. So a lot of people theorize that the character in Twilight Princess is actually the Link in... Majora's Mask after he has died. Hmm. Yeah. This is one of those topics that I can literally talk for (laughs) hours. Just because there's so much good lore and so much good theories with this series. I like this. I like this platform for explaining such a heavy topic very appropriately. Oh, yeah. Um... Because I feel like it helps convey it in a way that if a younger viewer was playing this game, they would understand and be able to project those feelings, especially if they were going through some kind of loss. Um, Now, the five stages of grief, they aren't specific to death loss. It could be a loss of a relationship. It could be a loss of a friendship. Mm -hmm. Um, It's any type of loss that you could experience. Um, so it's not so much death in a nutshell, but helping to explain loss in a nutshell. And I think it's very subtle, you know, it, it's not, this is a game about grief, you know, it's, it's, oh yeah, I mean, it's still Legend of Zelda at the end of the day. Oh, absolutely. Um, Aonuma has even said that it's not, the fact that it lines up with the five stages of grief is coincidence it wasn't mm-hmm. intentional right uh, and they the end of the day they wanted to create a game that was going to project such a heavy emotion and i feel they were very successful have you ever played majora's mask i have not played majora's mask 
<laughs> I can count. I can count the legend, the Legend of Zelda games I finished on one hand and have plenty of fingers left over. Oh, so kind of sad about that. <laughs> just a little bit. I just it's it's. It's not everyone's cup of tea, and that's absolutely no. Fine. And I think this, the fans have taken this and run with it. Oh, absolutely. You know, because the because the devs have said it's it's not it's that it's not that it's not that. <laughs> but, and like you said, it's it's a great way to teach something. Absolutely. You know? Um, when I mention, especially to my friends that are like pre-K teachers and things like that, when I mention this game they often come back at me not in a negative way but they're like oh yeah that it's a platform like the movie inside out we use that to help explain emotions to either mentally delayed kids or like little little kids Mm -hmm. like it's such video games and movies and things like that are such a good medium for helping those who have a harder understanding their emotions portray those emotions. Mm-hmm. I'm wondering too if uh, I'd be interested to see what Caitlin Doty has to say about that. Ask a mortician. Mm. I'm a big fan of Caitlin's um, and the work she does as an advocate. Um, and she's done her most recent book. I haven't read her most recent book, but her most recent book deals with questions about death from kids. Mm-hmm. Um, and she did, there was an episode where um, the question was actually asked, how do I explain death or how do I get the finality of death across to my, my kid? I think the, the one was like six or so, five, mm. something like that. Um, and she was asking, you know, questions about, you know, I bet grandma's really lonely down there. Precious so baby. I, Right. I'd be interested to see how how this theory gets interpreted by her, like what that's what I'm trying to say, how she would view this as a as a tool. Yeah. You know, I mean, one of my other not to go completely off topic here, but with the whole grief and death thing, Mm. um, one of my favorite examples of how to explain death to a little one is the Sesame Street episode where Mr. Hooper died. Oh, yeah. Um, That makes me sad. It makes a lot of people sad. Like, if I need a good cry, that's one of my go-tos. But... Oh, totally. It's one of those things where it's done so well mm-hmm. that I feel like parents can go to it still because that episode came out when we were little. That came up, episode came up before we were born. Was it? Yes. Oh. Um, but it's such a good way to explain death to a younger viewer. Um, whereas this, I would recommend if your child has the patience to do a longer game and you're okay with them doing a longer game. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously, monitor your children's activity and all that good stuff. Watch it. <laughs> pretty much. Um, but it's a good way for like that, I'm going to say 10 to 14 year old range. Right. And at that age, kids that age, excuse me, kids that age generally have an understanding of death and the finality of it. But they don't always have a grasp on the emotions or how to deal with them. Right. Right. Like, why is this the process? 
why is this a process? Why do I feel this way? Why, why does it have to be like this? Right. That's hard. It is. It's very hard. Um, also, in one of my sources, uh, sitecom.net, it actually gives a timeline for how long those five stages should last, like, as a whole. And I was actually very surprised at the amount of time that that process should take. Um, according to that website, it, the process should only take between six to eight months, mm. which I feel is very short. Yeah, that doesn't feel healthy. Like anything longer than that, it definitely recommends getting help. Well, I think people should get help, help for regardless. the grieving process anyway, yeah. But I just found that very interesting of like how short of a window. Yeah, that doesn't sound that doesn't sound healthy. I mean, people also grieve in very different ways. Oh, totally. Like, the model that is in place is just the more common mm-hmm. stages that people go through. Some people accept the finality immediately, and they're sad for a little bit, and that's it. I think that's I a... now have to replay this game again. <laughs> that's a very interesting... I, You know, I wouldn't even call it a theory, because it's it's been proven that it's not what the game means. I think it's a very interesting interpretation of the theming of the game. Does that make okay. sense? Yeah. Like I said, I don't know that I'd necessarily call it a theory. You know what I'm trying so hard not to say, right? It's just a theory. A game theory. <laughs> Ironically, he is one of my sources. Is um, he? Yes, I'll have you. I don't know you. what we're talking about. <laughs> um, so, since we're talking about it, my sources are um, MadPat, and game theory, which I'll have Corey link the actual video on our Instagram, um, gameluster.com, which has the interview with Aonuma, uh, sitecom.net, which has more about the five stages of grief. Um, the books that I used are the Legend of Zelda Majora's Mask 3D Official Strategy Guide, the Collector's Edition, um, The Legend of Zelda Hyrule Historia, and the Legend of Zelda Encyclopedia, all of which are property of Nintendo. Um, the strategy guide is published by Prima Guides. The other two are uh, published by Dark Horse. Well done. That was a deep episode. It's a very deep episode. Anything else we need to chat about? I don't know. Do you have anything else that we need to chat about? I don't think so. That's exciting. Yeah. Um... Well, thank you, everybody, for listening. This was a good week. Um, There's something you think we need to know about. You know where to email us, at sisterstrangepodcast at yahoo.com. We are on Instagram, at sisterstrangepodcast, and all of the relevant imagery will be there. And we will see you next week. Bye-bye. Bye. 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 You've met with a terrible fate, haven't you?